Okay. Red. Can you see me well? Because I'm not sure if I'm outside. I'm not sure if the quality is. It is good enough. It would be better if you could turn it uh, the camera sideways to get I um there. This? That's that's a little better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, it may get a little tiring to hold the camera for a <laughs> while. I'll put it on my knees or something. Right. So, uh. We started turning the cam turned the camera on after you had said that you've got some uh, let us say some feelings in the chest oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that you didn't describe, but you you uh, you talked to it as uh, talked about it as if you didn't like it. So you didn't use the word like heavy or sharp or uh, throbbing or any of the kinds of ways that we would explain it to the doctor. Right. Yeah, but you went right into not liking it, and then you said that you could sit with it and just watch it, pretending to be equanim equanimity or uh, equanimous about it, right? Yeah, I, I was pretending, yeah, more or less. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. <laughs> and yet you're not doing anything. You're not actually taking uh, right effort to make a change. Uh, okay. All right. Now, um, let's for a moment, let's define the word thought so that we really get a good handle on it, because otherwise, most people, when they hear the word thought, they immediately classify it as discursive thought. Which can also be thought of as words. And yet most of our thinking is not verbal thinking. But let us say that a thought would be any way at all that you could possibly spend a mind moment. That would be a thought. All right. So when a child is sitting in the back seat of the car looking out the window and seeing the things go by, then that kind of thinking is observational thinking through the eye door. We're actually using the eye door and we're paying attention to what the eyes see. That's a kind of thought. That's a way of spending a mind moment. Okay. And if that little girl sees something that then brings up delight in her, now the discursive thought will start up when she says something like, mommy, mommy, look at that. But she could not have said, mommy, mommy, look at that, if she had already not had a visual thought of seeing what came in through the eye door, through the eyes. Is that right? Can you understand what we're going with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah. slight little smile. <laughs> and first I had to see the smile, and then I can comment on it. But if I don't see it, all right. So this is understanding then that there are many, many different kinds of thoughts. And any of them can be unwholesome. Looking at the wrong things that bring up wrong feelings. An example of that would be, uh, let's say Oliver Twist is in training and as he passes by the uh, the sheet glass windows of the store that he is now being trained to rob, he's got to remember everything that he sees in that window. You just walk by and you've got it all. You remember, you can repeat item after item after item of what you saw in that window. That's the training for the thief in the book Oliver Twist. You probably have heard about that. Have you? Did you read the book? No, but I see what you're saying. All right. You see what I'm saying. I got that word. We'll, we'll come back to I see what you're saying soon enough. Okay. That basically what happened was when you say I see what you're saying means that you took the, um, the discursive talking that I have done and created a mental image. And that mental image had 
place glass. It just had boys together and it had items inside the window. And you also had the image of him adding all that stuff up, right? And so this is a visual image that you had, but you didn't have to talk yourself into it. The only words that you used was, I see what you're saying. Mm. Okay. Right. This is where we have to understand that thought is a very, very complex situation. Let us talk about it in the sense of like a six shooter. Old timey Western 45, uh, uh, you know, cylinders. And so let's say that you have a different kind of bullet in each one of the cylinders. And it's your choice, but you have to actually not just choose it and think of the choice, but you actually have to change the rotor to pull up the bullet that you want to fire. This is actually how the mind works. Now, let's look at the six different bullets. One is the eyes. So we can spend a mind moment or we can shoot a shot of vision. We can shoot a shot of hearing, taste, touch smell and the mind now the mind itself is kind of complicated in the sense that it has an additional door which is understanding or putting things together but it also has a kind of a small mirror image of all of the other senses so that you can actually remember what something smells like now, the way that our olfactory systems have fallen apart for human beings, we're much better at um, re uh, uh, refreshing our memory. In other words, if you smell a rose, you can say, yeah, that's a rose because I now remember what a rose smells like because I smelled roses before. But right now, you cannot conjure the smell of a rose. Can you? Not, not very well. No. <laughs> okay. So that particular door in the mind is not very strong because we have not practiced it. Guess what? People like wine tasters can. Why? Because they're actually developing that sense door. So that they can remember what things smell like and conjure that up in their mind, just like you can remember the red, the color red, and conjure that up in the mind with the, with the eyes. Yeah, well, you know, I feel like I've lost in some sense. I don't even remember a certain things like good feelings. I don't remember what they are or you know what I mean? Like I just it's been so many years, like almost. Yeah, it's been so long that I, I just don't know what what, you know, I, I have no recollection almost of joy or authentic joy, you know, or something. You know what I mean? Like those kinds of things. Well, right now, you are not grief-stricken. Right now, you are not terrified of me. Right now, you are not pissed off at me. Right now, you're, in fact, enjoying our conversation. Right? What more do you want? I guess I crave, like, the ecstatic parts of things, like the higher, like the, the ecstasy. Of Wanting things you don't have rather than enjoying the things that you do have. Right, I know. Yeah. Now, if you're not in the habit of enjoying the things that you do have, then when ecstasy comes by, you may not like it. Or what is joy or bliss or ecstasy anyway? Is it an event or is it a feeling or is it your response to the feeling or the response to the event? As it kind of just happens, I suppose, and, and it, it's just there, you know, it's, it's just there. I don't know. It's an event, I guess. Maybe. It's happening. Pardon? Like it, it's just happens, you know, and it's just happening when, when, like a bliss right. moment might just happen and then I have no, almost nothing in part of no me. Control no control over it at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just comes and Therefore, it's absolutely. When you recognize 
so therefore when you recognize the things that you do have control over that's not not good enough because i can't control that which i want yes yeah okay and you're not even quite sure of what it is that you want <laughs> all right and let's use two different words now to help with this. One is the word elation, and the other one is bliss. All right, let's throw the word bliss out because we don't have any good visual images of it. I mean, you can get a visual image of a Buddha statue or something dumb like that, but yeah. bliss has no image to it. So let's set that one aside for a little bit and work with elation. Okay, because that's a good substitute for bliss. Elation. Elation. Okay. To be elated. Uh, elevated. To be okay. Elevated, precisely. Okay. okay, elated. Elation. In fact, it's in the Latin. There is actually in the uh, church liturgy there is Kyrie elation in excelsis Deo. In other words, we have the exalted deity there, and we are elated. Perfect. All right. So, elation even in the, in the Catholic liturgy is, is a good substitution for bliss. Yeah. I would say, so the word uh, curio actually is, is be curious or look at the elation that you have by being in the presence of the glory of God. Now let's take this back on an ordinary level because that's uh, there's another way that people will feel elation. I give you the example of a very important football game, maybe a Rose Bowl or a Sugar Bowl or a, a Heisman Trophy Bowl. I don't think they have those, but anyway, this guy runs down the field with his football and makes the touchdown. Right? He's just made it. He's crossed the goal line. What's the first thing that he does physically? Um, he's in joy. He's happy. Well, what does he do? Not how does he feel? Celebration. He celebrates, maybe. And what does that look like? What does he actually do? Yeah, he yeah. throws his arms in the air. Exactly. He may, in fact, with the football, throw it down and spike the ball, right? But he's jumping around in joy. He's elated. Right? Okay. This is actually the state that we're practicing, is to get yourself into a state of elation. How do we do that? Well, how did the football player do it? Why was he elated? Because he won. He felt like he won. He won something. Yes, he was successful at something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's that's where I really feel like I. It's. I think. Okay, I don't feel successful because the a feeling that the feeling I have doesn't seem to change. So I'm like, what the fuck am I doing all the time? You know, like I'm sitting for such a long time, but my my emotional feeling so to say it's just it's just like ah so you're doing you're sitting there on the 50 yard line with the football in your lap and you're not about to go up and, and score goals and get that elation is that what you're saying <laughs> uh, is it is it, yeah is it just another is it just effort is it like there More is effort. a right effort. That football player that became elated because he won, because he was, because he scored, because he was a champion, and he put in the right effort that it took to get that score, and now he's taking his victory lap in his mind. He's elated by his success. And this is exactly what the Buddha is teaching, but it's not taught correctly in the Mahasi method. You're taught to sit there hoping that if I sit on the 50-yard uh, line with the ball in my lap, that I'll feel like I have made a touchdown, when in fact you don't. That's what I have been doing before I was talking to you. Pardon? 
that's what I've been doing. I was doing noting for a couple, like three or four months before, uh, basically before I've I saw your videos. You know, I saw you talking about the Mahasi method on the Guru Viking, and then I started looking around because it wasn't really. I was just like, you know, having just basically sitting there and sitting there and noting, 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 noting. It's just forever, you know. I don't know. Okay. So that means that the Mahasi method is teaching you two valuable skills. To remember to look and to look. And then you're doing a third thing, telling yourself a little story about what you saw. Mm. Like the little girl sitting in the back seat, she's using her eye door and she sees something. And then she has later the discursive thought, mommy, mommy, look at what I see. All right, so that's what you're doing there, and you're calling that Vipassana. Mommy, mommy, look at what I see. And so those are two skills that we can use, but that third skill we don't need so much. Then, in fact, instead of talking to ourselves about what we see, we plot our revenge instead. all right poor me look what i see instead of let's yank that i think you just saying the buddha really comes into place pardon i didn't hear what you said for the like last six seconds or six seconds okay to pick that thing up out of the mind and throw it out this is one's right effort. The Buddha has to show, uh, or the phrase rather, of aha, I see you, Mara. Mm, yes. Okay. That's different than, oh, I see it again. Right? <laughs> Completely different attitude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's you're in your, already. Yeah. Pardon? No, I was saying, yes, it's basically like what this discursive thinking or whatever is what is is what I am is what's happening like I'm just like oh I'm back with this emotion again or this feeling in my chest is just endless oh. can you hear me yes I can hear you ah, okay. but your video has frozen ah, uh, so I'm in the process camera's frozen I'll change cameras Yeah, they should do it. All right. Okay, we're just on your. Oh, you don't see it. Ah, see it There we go. Right. All right. Uh, so. Yes, I was saying like. I was saying, um, oh my God, like this, this feeling in my chest, this heaviness, this is like anchor what i describe it to myself was like an anchor or something of my of, of yeah it's just like a feeling of an anchor emotional anchor or something um i was like oh it's back here again today what do i have to do to pull it up what do i have to do I, nothing works nothing's work. like i have these kinds of thoughts and then i i i i see how much yeah i see how um How, and, and I just give up the right effort and just start staring at it. Like, what if I just concentrate really deeply on this feeling? Will something happen? Will something happen? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh -huh. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a, a, a new way stop to play with for a moment. And that is what we mean is concentration. All right. There is... Uh, no mention of concentration anywhere in the sutras. But that was something that got picked up later. There is a word that is in the sutras that has a particular meaning, and the word concentration is not it. It's called samati. And a samati mind means a mind that's organized. It means that, it's, that it fits together, that the 
that the uh, the things that were in the mind that used to conflict with each other and cause doubts and worries and all of that have now become unified. So the word uh, samati means unification of mind. It does not mean a concentrated mind. Ah, okay. In other words, you've got, your, you've got your stuff together as opposed to having things all scattered around. This is what the Samadhi mind is. And let's give a better definition to the word concentration. Give a definition to it. There's many different definitions to the word concentration. And the one that I would like to use without going through all of the others is the issue of repetition. Things happen over and over and over and over and over again. They're in a cycle kind of a way. And so long as the cycle continues, you can consider that a kind of concentration, so long as that cycle continues. When it stops, the concentration is lost. Now, most of the time, people are scatterbrained. They're all over the place. They think of this, and they think of that, and whatnot like that, but their mind is unified, then, they're going to be able to control this. This is why the repetition issue is what we're talking about. That when the mind is scattered, there is no one particular cycle that we're going in. When we gather the mind together, when all of the aspects of the mind are in unison with each other, then that's a samadhi mind, and that can be confused with concentration, but most people when they think of the word concentration, they knit their bow, they start wrinkling their forehead, they start pushing and putting in effort, too much effort, okay? So here's one of the examples that I use. Imagine that this is the object and this is the mind. And the mind is all over the place, but occasionally it comes back and points at the object. Occasionally it's there. And so what we're going to start working at is to getting it to where it's more and more often focused at the object. You can, in fact, see in what I'm doing is kind of a high-speed film. And we've done about 24 hours so far that we've touched it from time to time, but we're all over the place. Okay. Now let's talk about what concentration is. The concentration is, is that I want that thing so badly that I'm going to force myself on it, and I'm going to push, and I'm going to push. And this is, you might have the, your mind on that object, but this is not a satisfying situation to be in, this fight that you've got, trying to make sure that you've got it on there, pushing really hard. And that's Western concentration for you. That's the Mahasi method. It's pushing, 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 pushing. Because we're trying to develop concentration, and you're already way too concentrated for what we're trying to do. So, right effort is merely to remember to come back to the wholesome. And when we keep coming back to the wholesome over and over and over again, the scatterbrained of all the unwholesome stuff begins to settle down because we're having one wholesome thought after another after another. This is the actual practice of the Buddha that's laid out in the Eightfold Noble Path, but the Mahasi method somehow has lost track of the Eightfold Noble Path. They hardly even mention it. That in fact, in the 16 stages of insight, it doesn't even come until step 12. Where they start with disillusion and breaking up and all of that in step four and five, and then they go into fear, misery, disgust, despair, a strong longing to get out of it, followed then by a redoubling of the effort, which means now we're changing back to right effort, and to now we can get on the equal noble path at step 12 of that 16 steps of insight. So you could say that the first 11 steps is a waste of effort, waste of time, and there's a dark night of the soul in there someplace for some of them. Why? because they have stuck themselves with a couple of skills 
of being able to really, really focus and concentrate on their crap. And soon they begin to live in their own city dump. All they see is the crap. They're really good at seeing the crap, but they don't know what to do with it other than sort it out. But you're still covered with crap. Do you think those <laughs> you're just moving it around? <laughs> do you think though, like what you the skills are sort of say that you develop with the sixteen stages, like as the skills of of just being good at observing or just meditation? Good or, at observing, right? Now yeah. let's put that skill to good use by adding right effort rather than the wrong effort. Okay. Yeah. And this is the whole point, you see. This is why we talk about it this way in the sense of dukkha, dukkha, naroda is what the, the Buddha teaches. He teaches dukkha, dukkha, naroda. Dukkha, dukkha, naroda. All right. Well, what does Western Mahasi people do? What does Western Buddhism in general do? Dukkha. Oh, let's look at dukkha, 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 dukkha. All oh, this dukkha is like that dukkha. Let's bring that one in and look at it too. And wow, we just got so much dukkha here. Duka, 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 duka. I'm good at seeing duka. Okay. Oh no, I've got yeah. too much duka on my hands now. Oh, for me, what am I going to do with this stuff? Okay. <laughs> and now we go in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Let's All see. right. So okay. now when we look at the Eightfold and Noble Path, most specifically, we can see that Yao, some of the skills that we're talking about in the Mahasi method of remembering to look and to look. But then the next thing is, is to look with discernment so that we can see the distinction between what's wholesome and what's unwholesome and change it immediately or congratulate ourselves for already having a wholesome thought. Because many times when after you start to practice, Things are already really great, and then you are mindful of how great they already are. And that's where that elation yeah. will come in. Yeah, I, I just, I was not, yeah, a big thing, I was just, as you explain it now, I was not doing effort, I was not doing the right effort, not even close, actually, I just totally, yeah, I just, I would, I would do right effort if it was wasn't enough. If, if it, <laughs> I would do the right effort if I didn't have to put enough effort. Then I realized that now I have to put because of the way I feel generally is so unsatisfying that I'm like, wow, I have to really do. I have to put so much work in to change this. And then I'm like, yeah, I have to put so much work in to change this. Maybe I should focus on like maybe. I, yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well. Yeah. One of the ways that people look at it, the thought is, who said, oh, I've got so much crap. Wow, this is going to be really, really hard to get rid of. But now that I can see it, I recognize I've got to get rid of it. I don't have any other choice. I can't go back to the way it was. I've seen too much now. I'm fucked. <laughs> That's actually <laughs> the dark night of the soul right there. Okay. Now, yeah. the way that, the whole point then, let me give this, this analogy. Imagine that you're standing on a road. And as you're standing on that road, maybe a paved road, a highway or something, you find that a big truck is bearing right down on you with his horn blowing and he's just coming right through. There you are standing in the road. All right. There's two ways that you can handle Actually, there are several ways to handle that. One of them is to just ignore the truck, that in fact you're better off because it's going to hit you anyway. That negative thought and negative feeling is going to hit you anyway. The best you can do is just feel bad before it hits you and then really feel bad when it does. This is called the Vajrayana method. This is choiceless awareness. You see that truck barreling down on you and you'd be better off if you hadn't even seen it. But here you are noting, you've been looking back and forth, up and down the road too much. You're seeing too much stuff. Yeah. So the next, the next possibility is the Mahasi that I would call the Popeye method. What does Popeye do? He 
eats his spinach, and then he stands there in the road with his great big fist out while they play a little piece of music, and then that truck runs right over him. And those are the two methods of, that's taught in meditation. Either ignore the truck and get run over it, or try to resist the truck and get run over by it. But the Buddha teaches a third method. That third method is to see that truck coming down the road and then step out of its way. Just a little bit. You don't have to move much. You're not that far on the road. So just take a step off the road and let that truck go right by you. Ah, okay. Like don't run all away. Don't run off into the fields. Like it's not that, you know, you can just take a step. Just, okay. just step out of the way. Right. So we've already played the game of the red and the green thought, right? You already know that you can change your mind. That you can think of red, and then you can think of green. And while I'm talking about green, I mention red, and here comes red back in. And then I talk about green again, and green some more, and then it's just all green. But if I speak of red again, the thoughts of red will come in. Right? So yeah. not only can you control it, but I can suggest it. This is where the Buddha, there's an old story like this, and that is, the question is, do not think of elephants. Do not think of great big ears on an elephant. Do not think of great big feet that the elephant has. Do not think about the trumpet roar that the elephant gives. Do not think of the ivory in his tusk. Do not think of that big brush at the end of his tail. Do not think about those great, big Abe, what do they call it? Eggs? Bull yeah. elephants got balls, boy. <laughs> <laughs> but since you've probably Stones. never seen them, that's <laughs> but in any case, when I say don't think of elephants, you can't do that. Can you? You can't say, all right, I'm not going to think of elephants. I'm going to think of something else or just not listening and not pay any attention to what you're saying. And I'm not thinking about elephants. But so long as elephants are there, you want to think about them. So this is part of the reason for getting into seclusion. So that there's no elephants and no reds and no greens and, uh, and nobody talking about it. And you have to sort it out for yourself. You begin to take control of your own mind. To put seclusion in the as in seclusion as in like like physical seclusion like a, a physical like no, seclusion getting away from it all where you are right now looks physically secluded enough mm, you don't that, have that, a room like, and you don't have an elephant in the room and if you've got an elephant in the room you're not secluded fair enough like Secluded for like for a certain like let's say I, I can't be secluded like for yeah I can be secluded for a good bit of time actually like for a few hours a day for for specifically for for sitting meditation. Well, let us say that right now no one is in your ear but the earphones. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> whenever I'm secluded, when I should. Okay. Okay. Whenever. Right. Basically. And you can plan on that seclusion. That's yeah. why the Buddhist talks about seclusion so much. He's even gotten a little story about it, about the uh, the log in the bog. That you can't set a fire, the log that's already been in the bog for years. And in fact, the older ones sink to the bottom, completely saturated with water. So that even if you bring it up on the shore, you still can't set it on fire. So after you bring it on the shore, you still can't set it on fire because it's completely waterlogged. But if you let it sit in the sun for a while, the gravity will draw the water down and the sun will begin to um, uh, evaporate the water that's on top of the log. <clears throat> Therefore, the top of the log can, in fact, be set on fire. Because it's gotten out of the bog sufficient enough time so that the water starts to drain out. That's an amazing analogy because that's exactly what we are. We are waterlogged with our society 
and we need to get away from it and drain that stuff out. Yeah. All the rules, all the shoulds, all of the stuff of the ways we're supposed to do stuff. And come back to a more natural state the way that we were when we were two or three years old before we knew so much. Yes. And so the seclusion has to do with getting away from it all. And this is why in Thailand, uh, monks will generally spend three months or more a year in seclusion. In the sense that the only time that they come out will be to for breakfast and they go to the kitchen, the back door of the kitchen at Wat Suan Mok, because this is quite well known or range. They'll get their breakfast. They don't even sit with the other monks. They're in seclusion. At times, in fact, the abbot will will make sure that they don't even have to leave the kuti. But the food will be brought to them. Now that's seclusion for three months. Okay. In um, uh, in the Vajrayana, they do it for even as long as three years. They have a tradition of putting the guy in a cave. Well done cave. In fact, it's a really nice cave because it's been used continuously for the past several hundred years. And some people have made it into a nice place for their three year stay. And so it's not that bad of a cave. You sort of sit in the cave for three years. That's seclusion. It may be more than we need, and it certainly is more than it's available for most people who can get great benefit out of the teaching of the Buddha by finding a little bit of seclusion and get something going. So the Buddha says, in seclusion, go to the forest, go to an empty hut, go to the base of a tree, go to a leaf of straw, and sit down. That's all we need to do, just get away from it all. And that's what you're doing right now. You're out in nature. You're out in the woods right now. So all you would need to do to be in complete seclusion is turn your cell phone off and take your headphones off. Then you're in seclusion. Yes. Okay. <laughs> all, right. all right. And since what we're talking about is all wholesome anyway, you're already being secluded from the unwholesome. Because all we're talking about is wholesome stuff. You haven't heard me one time talk about how bad those politicians are and name them by name. Start complaining about them. <laughs> right. Okay, so, or anything else for that matter, we're just talking about the mind. So getting away from it all. And then the next part of the job of seclusion is the drainage, is the getting away from all of those unwholesome thoughts that you brought in with you into seclusion. The water log, the water in the log, all of your unwholesome thoughts, all of the, uh, uh, the stuff that prevents you from being what you want to be. which in this case, we've already used the word elated. So now how are we going to work on the state of elation when you've got such a heavy thump of, of weight on your chest? It's just a right, it's just more more effort, more or less, because it's such a heavy feeling that it's such ah, an anchor that I'm like. Right, more effort, right, instead of changing the kind of effort, all right? Then, in fact, instead of pushing it off the way that Popeye would do, maybe you can just roll over and get out from under the pressure. Or another way that we're actually going for is, is that this pressure that you have on your chest, and you can call it anxiety. That's what normally people call it, the stress, uh, the pressures of the daily world. And you feel that on your chest, and you don't like it. 
to where you could possibly change your attitude about it and see it as a new toy to play with. Oh, there's some anxiety to play with. Aha, I see that. Let's see what we can do with it. Let's play with it as a toy. Now, if you don't like it, then the state of not liking and the chemicals in the brain have to do with the kind of chemicals that one has when they're in a state of not liking something. And those, the state of not liking has several words for it. Fear, grief, misery, disgust, frustration, anger, your choice. You can choose which one you like. In fact, you can choose which one you don't like. Because that's the one that you're feeling. You're not liking this chest sensation, right? And you're treating it the way that you've always been taught to treat things that you don't like. Give them hell. So there you are giving yourself hell. You don't like it. You want to get rid of it. And you don't recognize that that whole sequence is all unwholesome. So where are we going to learn to change it? One is we can change our attitude about it in the sense of, oh, it ain't that bad. I can handle this. I've felt stressed before. Right? Have you felt it? I'm sure you've felt it many times. There you are sitting in and hating it and hating it and hating it instead of uh, at least appreciating the fact that you know what this feels like. You've seen it before. Aha, I see you. So at least you're not completely stupid. At least you recognize it and see it for what it is. So congratulate yourself for that. Aha, I see you again. And we also begin to take the effort to come out of the I see you critically into I see you nurturing. You begin to nurture yourself. It's okay. They're there now. You're all right. Take a deep breath. You're okay. There's no real problems there. You start gladdening and brightening the mind. You begin to take deep breaths and start to play with this sensation in the chest and see if you can, in fact, gain some control over it. The biggest problem that most people have is, is that they don't really learn to manipulate it well as well as they'd like to learn to manipulate it because they've distorted it by playing with it in the beginning. And you chase it away way too fast without actually getting to play with it. You have to wait around till the next time you feel uptight so that you can play with uptightness of the toy. But it's very elusive. It's very ephemeral like that, that when you begin to play with it happily as a toy, the very chemicals in the mind and in the body that cause that, uh, that uh, sensation of tightness and anxiety have been changed now. So your blood chemistry changes and the tightness of the chest changes, especially if you're breathing well with it. And all that up tightness in the chest just went right out with your exhales called carbon dioxide. Makes the blood heavy. But when you're breathing well, you breathe it right out. So you can actually use mental imagery that way of recognizing that this deep breath is just making that uh, blood all energized and the lungs are taking all of that um, uh, oxygen in and taking all that carbon dioxide out. And here I am breathing really well and saying, where is that anxiety? Where did it go? I can play with when it. You say, when you say you using imagery where you're talking you know, like visualizing the, the, the everything getting energized, like the lungs going in and out deeply, and, and you know, vision, mm -hmm. visualization, imagination. Right, visualizations as well as talking yourself into it, as well as uh, changing the whole concept from an unwholesome to a wholesome. Hey, here it is, a new toy to play with again. Aha, I see you. Mm -hmm. Just like the sly cat, when he sees the mouse, he doesn't say, I see you, I'm going to kill you. He says, aha, toy to play with, aha, I got that. <laughs> so, this is part of the change of attitude that we actually intentionally cultivate. We cultivate a better attitude. This is Sama Sankapa. 
right attitude, right intention, right inclination, right meaning of the mind is part of the Eightfold Noble Path. This is the fourth item on the path. Once we start with the right effort, our effort actually gets easier when we get enthusiastic about it. When we get the winner's attitude, oh, I can do this. But see, you've got the, uh, the, the loser's attitude of, oh, I have to sit and watch this stuff and maybe it'll go away by itself, oh, poor me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have to lose this attitude. Mm -hmm. I can't do this. That's the that's a lot. The win, winner's attitude. I I heard you say this a little bit. Like it's the lion. The lion is the winner, or something like you can. Right. The Buddha was a lion. Become a lion. Have that winner's attitude. You can take care of anything. It doesn't matter what kind of bad feelings slip up on you. You can play with them as a toy, the way that a lion would play with a little rabbit or a bunny or a, a, a cat would play with a mouse. A toy to play with. And you kill it before you're finished playing with it. That's so helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's a change of attitude. That's part of my job. And you see, we could write this down in the book and people can read it and they won't get the point. Yeah. In fact, yes. um, in one of the interviews that we had with um, uh, Daniel Ingram on the uh, uh, Viking Guru, he actually read a passage out of Mahasi, which was exactly this stuff to develop the, uh, uh, the joy. And um, he, he intentionally did it to show that this was part of the Mahasi method that was there in Burma, but it didn't make it very well. It's actually in Mahasi's great big book, but it's so deeply buried in the book that the Westerners don't even understand that. But in fact, when in Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's book, uh, one of them, he's got four on Anapanasati. And in one of my favorite books, it's not until page 218 or so where he actually starts talking about gladdening the mind and bringing in joy. And in there, he'll say, this is the first thing that we've got to do. Well, if it's the first thing we got to do, you should have put it on page one. Not page 218. <laughs> the students have been practicing wrong all of this time because they didn't understand the practice. But we want to give a very de detailed, clear, organized uh, um, way of practicing, and the students are going to miss it. This is one of the reasons why it's very hard to learn mathematics out of a book. But doing examples on the internet, you can learn mathematics. Because you're doing the examples. Okay. Yeah. And so this is the example that we have to take is you've got to gladden the mind. How do we gladden the mind? Is by playing with this thing like it was a mouse. Aha, I see you, Mara. Aha, I see <laughs> you. And you change your attitude about it, which is Sama Sankapa, a fold noble path. have to change your attitude. The attitude of a winner, the attitude that you could do it. Because if you have the attitude that you're a winner, you have an attitude that you can do it. And then we're working now in becoming uh, safe, becoming secure, becoming comfortable, becoming satisfied. And with that safety, security, comfort, and satisfaction over and over and over again, we begin to get the attitude change, the confidence. I can do this. I can do this anytime I want to, and I can do it when I need it most. And instead of getting uptight when the cop comes or uptight when mother-in-law yells, I can remember, I can gladden my mind. This is... The winner's attitude. I can do this. No matter what happens, I can handle it. It's fine. Yeah. Then you 
spend more and more time in wholesome thoughts and because you're intending to, which gives now a new habit. And now your habit or your base feeling is, is a basis much closer to a base of elation than it was before when you were in the state of being a victim. Victims don't have elation. They don't become elated. Become elated because you're a winner. Uh, this is so helpful. <laughs> oh. Damn. Okay. Okay. So it's it's just an attitude and an effort. And that's mm -hmm. it. Just keep that's going. Repetitive. Those are the two <laughs> points that you're missing. Because you've yes. already got sati and uh, um, an investigation going. So all you need to do now is when you investigate and see that chest is heavy, you now can change to the right effort and say, oh, yeah, but it's not that heavy. I can handle this. Let me breathe into it. The toy to play with. <laughs> yeah. Right. And now it's going to be gone in 15 seconds. And there you were hoping that it would go away for an hour, saying, I'm going to be equanimous while this heavy weight is on. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Try to be equanimous. That was my whole thing. I'll try to be. <laughs> okay. Well, the funny thing about it is, is the negative thoughts is where that tension and anxiety comes from anyway. So if we don't like the tension and anxiety, we're just still in the same mind state that created it in the first place. So we have to change the mind by gladdening the mind, changing our attitude. Oh, that's not so much. I can handle that. This is easy. And you take a deep breath. Wow, I can still breathe. It's not that heavy. It hasn't stopped me from breathing. Then we can just let that old anxiety melt right off. <laughs> while we watch it. Watching it uh, yeah. melt. Then congratulate yourself. Ah, look at that. <laughs> we are successful after all. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing this today. All right, See. Well, you can do it now. Let's go ahead and finish the call. And you can just sit where you are and just have fun at it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I am looking forward to. Well, I can do it now. I don't. Yes. Well, you're doing okay, it right, right now. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right now. Right now. Cool. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, have at it, horse. We'll leave you now. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you, Dominato. Thank you. I really See appreciate you in a couple that. of days. See you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye.